0: Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass, and some humor along the way. I hope you enjoy, and thank you for tuning in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast, and this week's Q and A from my amazing clients and their wonderful questions. Of course, you're joined by the wonderful Edith, who is snoozing. After a very drizzly walk this morning, a very drizzly walk. I hope everybody's doing okay, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this. It's interesting. One of my um, best friends had messaged me last night and I was responding this morning. <laughs> and let me tell you, friends, life is a roller coaster, an absolute roller coaster. You know, when you just think you have everything together and then life is like, no, babe. No, babe, not at all. So, I was messaging my friend yesterday and I was telling her about the said roller coaster that we are currently riding. And one of the messages that I responded to this morning, she asked me how I was feeling. <laughs> and I started to write, I'm fine. But then I was like, no, because I'm fine basically means I'm anything but fine. And genuinely, I am okay. So, then I was like, I'm not doing bad. And then I was like, oh no. (laughs) So I was like literally deleting these messages and then I sent one back saying, I'm okay. Genuinely, I'm okay. And let me tell you, with this roller coaster that we are currently riding, that hopefully will be ended imminently because frankly, I don't like roller coasters anyway. Not big, scary, up and down, uncertain roller coasters. Genuinely, I feel like that is what I'm on right now. (laughs) The speed of my voice is indicative of said roller coaster. <laughs> but two things, two things that I've really helped ride this roller coaster. And I think genuinely, I say this to all of my clients it isn't until quote unquote shit hits the fan that you're able to recognize significant changes within your mindset, with your self compassion, with your awareness, with your adaptability and your flexibility. And two things, like I said this week, radical acceptance has been the first thing that has really helped me. And radical acceptance is basically accepting what is, without being consumed by negative thoughts impacting your behaviours. And radical acceptance is so important. You know, I used to, I used to feel safe, and I mean safe in inverted commas, when I quote unquote controlled things. But it wasn't complete safety. It was that I feared the unknown and that I feared failure. So I would do everything to try and control situations. But inevitably that led to a loss of control and that led to actually more uncertainty, more fear. Radical acceptance is the notion that you cannot control everything and being okay with that. And this has taken continuous practice, you know, Continuous practice to recognize there are things that are are way out of my control. And the one thing that I started with, which, especially in this time of year, can be really useful, is the weather. I used to get so annoyed by the weather. And I mean, so annoyed. I used to be so frustrated if it rained, so frustrated if it was windy, because I just wanted to go for a walk. And I would have the weather dictate my mood then impacting my behaviour. So that was the first thing I I embraced radical acceptance with, knowing that the weather is so changeable, right? It's so imperfect. And then creating separation, which is part of resilience, right? And not impacting your then behaviours and actions, and doing the best you can with where you're at. And the second thing that has helped me hugely, massively, and I will never tire of saying this, is gratitude. Genuinely so we're potentially not going on holiday and this is potentially a holiday that we have saved and saved and saved all year for and we have both been extremely excited about but because of said roller coaster that we're on there's potential that I can't fly and I will know later on now old me would have been so frustrated so annoyed like genuinely Why can I not go on holiday? I'd have played the victim mentality time and time again. I'd have got my own little violin. But all I've done is leaned more into gratitude. For the roof above my head, the clothes on my back, the people around me, my support network, my health, the NHS, my best friends, Edith. The fact my body is still digesting. She's still able to move. And we... For whatever reason, now in society, have this belief that happiness is found in things. Happiness is found in pleasure. Ha- I'll be happy when I wait X amount. I'll be happy when I go on holiday. I'll be happy when term breaks up. I'll be happy when I get that job promotion. And we lose out on so much of life. We lose out on the presence, the awareness, what we have around us, and we take it for granted. I remember. When somebody once said to me years ago that I needed to practice gratitude, I was like, grateful for what? <laughs> My car? I was like, oh no, because that could just go in an instant. And it genuinely is the small things around you. And those people who struggle to practice gratitude, I say this one thing. Imagine if everything was taken away from you right now, then how would you feel? Your house, your clothes, your animals, your family. The ability to go to the shop, buy food freely that financial freedom, the food on your plate. Genuinely, people haven't got that. And the more you practice gratitude, the more you're grounded to the present moment, the more awareness you have. And actually you find happiness in your day-to-day living, not in these lavish holidays. So they're the two things that are currently keeping me strapped in this roller coaster without having a mini breakdown, which may well happen, may well happen because I am an adult, you know, but... So far, we've got it together, kids. We've got it together. So anyway, let's get on (laughs) to these questions. Number one, what can I do to reduce bloating? Um, Okay, so this is very subjective and very individual. And actually a bit of context for this client is that she's coming out of a fat loss phase and she's going to maintenance because she's now finished her fat loss phase. And I think first and foremost with that, there is this belief that as soon as you come out of a fat loss phase and you go to maintenance, that you will ultimately bloat. And actually that's not the case for most people because when we consider a calorie deficit, that is a stress on the body. And for some people, especially if you prolong a fat loss phase for longer than needed, and I mean, if you're spending six months in a fat loss phase and you are already lean, your body will start to retain water. And there is also an amount of adaptation that occurs whereby your body becomes used to the lower calories. Thus therefore starts to hold on to glycogen as a protective measure for you. So when you restore your calories back up to maintenance actually you, you reduce the overall stress on your body and for a lot of people and I this client in particular because there's no more adipose tissue she needs to lose per se that can likely reduce any glycogen storage that's been held through the deficit and therefore actually your perception of bloating is coming from fear of giving yourself permission to eat the calories and this is, again, a big misbelief in society from so many people. Like, the minute you tell yourself you're not on a diet, you'll gain weight. And actually, maintenance is the hardest for so many people because there are these fears. Fear of bloating, fear of gaining weight on the scales. Realistically speaking, after a fat loss phase, you will gain weight on the scales because you're looking to reto- restore your body's um, your body's hunger and fullness. You're looking to restore back to a neutral energy balance. Sorry, is what I was looking for. So with that, you will increase your food, which will increase the volume of food you're eating, which will be shown on the scales. One gram of carbohydrates requires three grams of water to digest. But just because the scales have gone up by a couple of pounds does not mean you've gained fat. And actually, when we look at the nitty gritty of this, it's nothing to do per se with bloating. It's to do with internalised weight bias, whereby we associate being bigger with being less than, less attractive, less worthy. And we associate being smaller with being more than more attractive more worthy and actually a lot of this work is to do with breaking down and working through your internalized weight bias so that you can accept your body appreciate your body recognize the functionality of your body and know that she will fluctuate your body is meant to change It is not meant to stay 60 kilos. It is not meant to stay a size 10. It will change. It will change with seasons, chapters. And then if we consider bloating, one of the biggest things that impacts bloating is body checking and your perception of bloating. Like I've just had breakfast and I have a substantial breakfast because I know that that is key for me especially after being stuck in the binge eating cycle for 13 plus years. I know the first meal of the day for me is really important. If I want to be one step ahead of myself, so it's always substantial. If I was to now sit here and look at my stomach, I'd be like, gosh, you're bloated. When in reality, it's digestion. In reality, it's a normal part of your metabolic rate and a normal part of your body eating food and it passing through your digestive system. Genuinely, it's normal. But you heighten the perception of bloating by constantly body checking. And then there's this notion that you need to be quote unquote lean all day. And I remember falling into this trap. And interestingly, I had a um, a catch up with my mentor this week and I was telling her about it. Because once upon a time when I'd go on holiday, I'd try and not eat all day to wear a bodycon skin tight dress because that way, <laughs> I'm laughing because I feel really sorry for old me. That way you won't be able to see any change in my stomach. But actually that's meant to happen. And that's the thin ideal. That's self-objectification and a negative body image. Bloating, if it's significantly painful, and I mean you are crippled in two and you your bowel movements are all over the place. Like you eat something and you want to be sick, but also it's coming out of the other end and you cannot move. Then I would go and see the GP. Anything outside of that is likely normal part of digestion because you're eating and drinking all day. But one thing I will say movement helps digestion. Movement helps. So much with regulating your blood glucose supporting your metabolic health your mental health your physical health if you are eating all of your meals and doing 500 steps a day that is not going to support digestion but it's also not going to support reducing risk of chronic illness like type 2 diabetes bear that in mind um, what's the difference between probiotics and prebiotics right There is a big thing at the minute around these sort of supplements, right? You've got kombucha, but then you've also got Simprove. Simprove, you know, is like £100 a month or something ludicrous like that. And it's like, take these to improve your gut health. Right. Okay, Susan, thanks so much for that. So probiotics are supplements that contain live microorganisms that basically are there to improve the normal microflora in the body there are so many different strains of these microorganisms and this is where it becomes really really complicated so if somebody's taking a probiotic for a part of their gut health they need to know the microorganism that they need from this probiotic that is subjective and individual to their gut microflora, right? So it's not a case of take this probiotic and it'll improve the microflora within your gut. You need to know which strain of the microorganism is within that probiotic to support you. Whereas prebiotics are foods and they tend to be like high fiber foods that are food for the human microflora realistically speaking nobody needs a probiotic or a prebiotic if you're eating a high fiber mediterranean style diet because a high fiber diet will then provide the vitamins and minerals for the microflora and the microflora then will support the microorganisms within your gut health which support a normal functioning gut bacteria, right? You've got all of these microorganisms within your your gut. And if you're getting enough dietary fibre, and that's why the recommendation is at least 30 grams per day, and that looks like on average around about 30 plants a week, that will support it. However, there are certain scenarios where a probiotic is beneficial. If you're taking antibiotics... I would recommend a Yakult for the week you're taking antibiotics and the week after, because that has got the correct strain of the microorganism in that will protect your gut health from the antibiotic. Also, if you're really struggling with your gut, gut bacteria and your bowel movements are a little bit skewed, and maybe you've got a little bit of pain and you're increasing your fiber, a Yakult can help. But outside of that, you just need to eat more fruit and vegetables and you need to eat more whole foods, like genuinely. And it's one of those as well to take into consideration. If you're increasing the variety of your diet and you're getting in different plants, new plants, things that you haven't had for some time and maybe your dietary fiber has been on average about 15 grams, which is what the UK average is shockingly. And you're thinking about increasing it, you will notice some gas, you will notice some discomfort, you will notice a little bit of mild pain but that's because in essence what you're doing is you're healing the microbiome within your gut health by giving it this good bacteria because there are things that damage the gut microbiome ultra processed foods alcohol things that are quote-unquote not hugely beneficial for the body in large quantities so if you're nailing like a couple of bottles of wine that's going to impact your gut microbiome. And then the next day you're eating all the falafel, all the vegetables, all the fruits. You'll probably notice a little bit of bloating, but that's completely normal. So yeah, don't get lost in all of this money that people and companies are advocating. Because realistically speaking, it'll be far more beneficial for you to spend that money on fruit and vegetables. Really. And actually eating food <laughs> this next one i love it sprouts nutritional superstars or satan's minions i was like this is brilliant brilliant and it, i think for me superstars superstars i love a sprout i genuinely do um but let's be honest. All right. They're a vegetable. (laughs) They are a vegetable. They're a green vegetable and they have got vitamins and minerals in and they are great on a Christmas dinner with gravy. But if you don't like sprouts, you don't have to eat sprouts. It's one of those where we can put food on hierarchy, right? This food is better than this food or this food is better than this food. Realistically speaking, chocolate does taste better than vegetables. It does but forever choosing the chocolate over the vegetables is not unconditional permission to eat because unconditional permission to eat is the ability to say yes but the ability to say no as well so you have to be able at times to say no out of nourishment for your body and respect for your body but then it's finding an amount of fruit and vegetables that you enjoy that you like And actually if we just come back to the last question something very similar to this is if you're following a very ultra processed diet you actually change the palate within your mouth to the point where you don't get the feel-good reward from fruit vegetables that physiologically we should be getting so it takes like a couple of weeks of quote-unquote cleansing your palate to then recognize the benefits of eating a pink lady apple of eating sprouts if you like the sprouts that actually it does make you feel good. It does give you a bit of energy. Because a lot of the time people seek energy from from ultra-processed foods, right? But then that can come the majority of their diet. But if you are eating a variety of food and that involves fruit, vegetables, and lots of different plants, but you don't like sprouts, that's okay. You do you, babe. If you don't want them, don't want them. Um, okay. I struggle with the concept of saying no with unconditional permission to eat. Even if I don't want something, it's like I fear the restriction after coming through the binge restrict cycle. Any advice? That's very common. Very common. And it's, it's somewhat of an exploration phase because you'd have said no to so many different foods for such an amount of time. But unconditional permission to eat, it is about having the ability to say no. But a way in which you can reframe this is when you say no to whatever you're saying no to, you're saying yes to the counterpart. So every choice has two sides, right? So example, your mum has cooked you sausage rolls and they're delicious and they're on the side but you're going out with your girlfriends tonight for pizza but the novelty of this food is high because of coming through the binge restrict cycle and probably having a lot of food avoidance with those behaviors so you've then got this intense drive for the sausage roll curating a pause and recognizing that if you say no to that you're saying yes to comfortable pizza with your friends this evening but i think also as well recognizing that if you're saying no you're not saying no forever so you could also instead of saying no use phrases like not right now but you're saying yes to going out this evening with your friends and that's the same with everything right every choice we make has two sides So sometimes, and I I say to everybody, you all have complete autonomy on your choices. Saying no to a chocolate bar could be saying yes to your goals. And it's like with a boundary, right? You could reframe this. Saying no to somebody else is saying yes to you. So like if you want to, if somebody's asked you to go out and you don't want to go, saying no to them is saying yes to something you do want to do. And I think that in itself can be quite powerful in these sort of situations and recognising that just because you say no on one day doesn't mean you have to say no the next and this is where having a clear a clear view of your goals and your values is really really important so what is most important to you right now is that your health and is that respect for your body if you're struggling to say no is that nourishment because again that's part of unconditional permission to eat and I've spent all year saying to people, like, food's around in abundance, like, there's no scarcity around it. But actually, there is some food that's quite high in, like, novel weight at the minute, because you don't get mince pies all year round, right? You don't. So it may be things like that, that you've avoided for so many years. And then you have a bit of frustration in yourself. But as well, it's looking at everything else you get when you're eating these foods. So maybe you get some joy with your best friend when you're eating a mince mince pie. Okay, how can you take that joy with your best friend going forward into a different scenario? So you're then able to see that in more times than just around the food. So your fixation comes away from being the food. And it is, I think as well, like restriction is not just about food, right? restriction can look like saying yes to everything and then not aligning to your goals and values so sitting then with the realization of your choices and knowing that just because you've come through this you can say no even if to start with it may feel a little bit vulnerable and I think setting your intentions around these situations is really important as well (laughs) will it always be the case that I go through calories in my head despite not tracking no it won't and actually I was having this conversation with another client this week and we were talking about she is also not tracking but previous to this she had spent many many years tracking and now she said she still like tots up calories in her head and I think the most important thing here is you can choose not to I remember I used to do it all the time oh that banana is 105 calories that apple is 80 calories that chocolate bar is 200 calories but actually this can come with some restriction and this can come with a big red flag in that you'll choose food that feels quote-unquote safe to you because you quote-unquote know the calories from spending years banging it in my fitness pal So then you'll always have novelty around certain foods, which can link back to that last question, right? Maybe you've not had a mince pie for years, so you don't know how many calories are in a mince pie, so you don't dare having you don't dare have a mince pie because you're not sure how many calories are and how many you need to make quote unquote room for. But that's a choice. And even now, as I mentioned yesterday, when I had to adapt and have two meals out from a canteen i don't choose to look at calories anymore whereas before i used to pick up a sandwich and be like how many calories are in that how much protein is in it now i choose based on what i want and actually when you give yourself and meet yourself with permission to eat you've got more clarity more awareness on what your body needs that ties nicely into emotional regulation if you're not working through your emotions then you will be running on high levels of stress which is why emotional regulation is fundamental to coming away from the binge restrict cycle and to breaking away from these red flags and these food rules like if you've got emotional regulation tools in place and and I mean simply prolonging an exhale breath before you make a choice and then choosing not to look at the calories and making that a conscious effort it's like a repetition for the brain right you're repeating the action time and time again to get to the point where you don't then look at the calories. So it's like picking up a loaf of bread. Well, how is this got less than 100 calories in? And asking yourself, is that helpful? Is it helpful to know the calories and everything? Or is that hindering? And I argue it's hindering because it holds people in a place where the association of food becomes solely that of a number. You lose the concept of joy, memories, celebrations, connection that you attain from food. And also you lose the mindfulness Because if you pick up a meal that you say is 450 calories, because you meet yourself with quote unquote permission, knowing how many calories are in it, you could automatically eat it all instead of listening to your body. And you might notice she's full three quarters of the way through. But you also might notice that she's not satiated and not satisfied. So you lose that mind-body connection because your sole focus is on external validation from numbers. So no, it won't always be the case, but now making it a conscious effort not to look at them. Any advice for looking at ways of seeing success in a journey over the festive period when things may feel a little different? Gosh, yeah. I love this question. And actually, interestingly, I was talking to one of my friends the other day. We were talking about um, like scale weight over the festive period. And I recall one year I... I was trying to work out what year Harold I was. I think I was 24, and Slimming World had this check-in with the damage day between Christmas and New Year. and it was the 27th, and it was like a weigh day. So I went and weighed myself. But right up until the 27th, and it was like a nine o'clock in the morning way, I restricted. I didn't eat anything. Like I didn't even have a Christmas dinner. I worked that year. I used to work at a pub as well, and then from the twenty seventh onwards, I binged my entire way through a really miserable time. Sure, I'd lost weight, but then I just met myself with, "Well, eat whatever you want now." And metrics metrics of success for so many people tend to look like the scale weight. And so many people have been told that that is the most important thing about them. And that regardless of the journey you're on, you need to see the scale weight come down. But actually, there are so many different other ways of measuring success. And if you solely focus on the scales, you're solely focusing on the outcome. You're losing sight of the process. So things that I'd lean into over the festive period. I'd set non-negotiables to start with, like three daily non-negotiables that are really going to help you. I mean, I've got four, but here are my four. Protein with at least one meal, regular eating, daily movement, daily journaling. The reason I say daily journaling is because this time of the year can be quite hard for me. So that's part of my emotional regulation and one of my tools that I know will really, really help me. But they're my four daily non-negotiables. So if I take them off, which I know realistically speaking, whether I go on holiday or not, I can tick them off. Like no matter where I am in the world, I can do that. So set your daily non-negotiables and then check in with everything else. Check in with the connection, the presence, the awareness, any food fixation. Check in with how you respond to times like overeating because realistically speaking, right, you will overeat, it's Christmas, but part of self-compassion is common humanity. Everybody will at some point overeat this Christmas it's completely normal but then do you respond with an instant restriction do you respond with guilt and shame do you respond with trying to then diet or do you accept and do you acknowledge that that was temporary do you factor in resilience and do you then respond with kindness mindfulness and quote unquote bounce back to your normal eating behaviors in a much more healthful manner And then checking in with other things like what is your unconditional permission to eat like? How are your boundaries? Because it's about your behaviours. It's about how you're showing up every day and leaning into the process there. Okay, so today I'm going to see family and today I know that they're going to goat me into eating four rounds of dessert. But I'm saying to myself today, no, I'm taking my mindfulness with me. I'm going to pause. I'm going to be fierce in my boundaries and say no when I know that that's saying yes to me feel uncomfortable and maybe when your children are opening their presents are you able to really connect with them really be present really be there not absolutely ravenous because you're trying to quote unquote save calories for your big Christmas dinner instead you've met yourself with permission to eat breakfast knowing that that is part of nourishment and it's helping you really then with the experience of recognising and seeing the smile on your children's faces and not sat there hangry waiting for the dinner to come. And then how you respond to situations. Like like I said, after overeating, are you then trying to squeeze into your smallest jeans or are you like, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to put my comfies on and I'm going to go for a nice walk and I'm going to chill out. Realistically speaking, you can be governed by the scales or you can lean into everything else that for the long term is going to give you the biggest, and I mean the biggest amount of success. And realistically speaking, that's where you'll find your confidence. Your confidence to come out of Christmas imperfectly, but have noticed the significant changes with your mindset, with your intention and with your awareness. That is fundamental. All right? If you have any questions on that, you can always drop me a message. But you all know, especially my clients listening to this, that I push you to measure in other ways outside of the scales. And your worth is not dictated by that number. So that's going to be it from me, folks. Thank you so much again for the amazing questions. And if you have anything else you want to run by me, you know, you can always reach out. Thank you for listening.